are you doing to create your dream life or your best self? Why do we see some thrive through challenges while others struggle? Welcome to Effort, a podcast where I talk about the main Fs in my life that have helped me in creating my best self. Faith, family, forgiveness, food, fitness, and formula. Hi, my name is Amy Ledeen, and most would say that I've had my fair share of struggles, whether it was placing my baby for adoption at 18, Facing my marriage-ending affair or battling stage four cancer for almost seven years, it's safe to say that I've been through a lot. Join me as I take you through my story, my journeys, and share with you the tactical strategies every single week that will help you thrive and overcome anything you face. That's right, I'm gonna show you how to create a future self that you'll be proud of. So buckle up, get ready for the ride as I take you through my story and bring other guests on that have helped me along the way. Today's episode is going to be a fun one because on this episode, my friend Tracy O'Malley is going to be talking all things Enneagram. And, you know, I really knew nothing in this area. So Tracy comes from, I mean, a long successful history of being a business coach. She is a self-made millionaire. She's been through a lot. And I really refer to her as like the no-nonsense, tell it like it is, but also very loving coach. She has been in a mastermind with me and, you know, honestly, you'll see from this episode intimidated me in all good ways. So I'm really excited for this one because I learned a lot. I hope you go away from this one learning about the Enneagram and go and take the test for yourself and see which one you are. Okay. I am so excited about today's episode. And that is something I tend to say all the time, but it's because I always have people on that I love and that I know that I I'm selfishly going to learn from. Like, I want my audience obviously to learn from everyone that comes on, but this was one that I knew I wanted to have come on because I just recently took a test that she's going to go over during this. And so I don't know the results from it, one. And um, so, without any further ado, Tracy, I am so excited that you are on here today. Thank you for coming on. I love you. I am so drawn to your beautiful energy. And, you know, we had done a podcast on mine, an interview, and I've gotten so much great feedback on just your soul. And so it's an honor to be here. I'm, I'm just excited to see what, what kind of comes out of us today, because that's kind of how we roll. I know. You know, just to kind of give a little bit of a, a backstory. So Tracy and I met through one of the masterminds that I was in this last year. And Tracy was someone that if you didn't listen to that podcast episode, it was interesting because, you know, we have triggers and triggers you can see as negative, positive, whatever. But for me, you were someone that I felt like could see inside me, see the old me, the hurt me. And that at first was very intimidating for me because it was like, I don't want someone to see those things. And so you were someone that for, you know, at least that first meeting, it was like, I want to talk to her, but I don't know really what to say. And so it was great that I ended up having a couple breakthroughs at one of the masterminds where I was like, okay, we need to talk. I clearly have some stuff that I need to work through. But before we get into all that, I want to talk about your story. One, you've got a podcast called Becoming Bulletproof. And you really, you know, a lot of your posts that you post on social media resonate always with me because, you know, it's about hitting like a rock bottom or, or hitting a place with shame. What got you so passionate about helping people overcome? You know, I, looking back on my life, I'm almost 50. So, which is incredible, like to even say that I can't even believe I'm almost 50. Um, but when I look back on my life, I knew at nine years old that, all this stuff, I mean, by nine years old, I'd already been through a lot. 
And I remember just riding around on my bike, searching for answers in the middle of the rain on a Sunday morning. And just realizing that my life was going to be used for something that all this stuff that had already happened at such an early age and growing up way before I should have had to was going to matter for something. It would take me another 30 years to kind of figure that out and get real messy and, and fucked up. And, and I mean, it was, you know, seven steps forward, eight back, seven forward, eight back. And it was like this constant push pull. And it wasn't until like, I, I got married very young, very, very young. I got married at 21, moved from Chicago to Arizona and had back-to-back babies like Irish girls do. <laughs> and, and I kind of thought moving, you know, 2,500 miles away, setting up shop in a different city where really there was no history for me that I could just kind of outrun, outwit, outsmart. I could just be whatever I wanted to be. And I really believed that until I, I looked into the eyes of my four-year-old daughter And all the memories that I had suppressed and pushed down and tried to run from came running back to me. Not only that, I was looking at my own beautiful, free-spirited, innocent daughter, and I was mad at her. And I was like, like that little girl inside of me that still lives that drives my bus. She was like pissed that this beautiful little girl who looks just like me got to have a life that I didn't. And it was in that moment that was 20, God, 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago, because she's 20, she's almost 24 now, that I knew that I needed to get some help because it was either that or I was going to put this beautiful, innocent little girl through a shit show that she'd never deserved, that, you know, was my unresolved stuff. And so it was 20 years ago that I kind of started to dive into personal development a little bit. Um, growing up in an alcoholic home and an emotionally unavailable mother. And I mean, you name it, I have experienced it by the time I was 17. And, you know, diving into this about 20 years ago was the beginning. Um, It was messy. I I was very prideful. I was still buried in shame. And shame is that silent killer that, you know, it'll rob us of anything good. Um, And I didn't really know how to navigate that so well. So even though I would take, you know, baby steps forward, pride and, you know, I'm very intense, you know, I'm hundred percent Irish and uh, very prideful. And um, just like what you said, I never let anybody see me. I showed you whatever I wanted you to see. And the minute I found, which was very rare, the minute I saw somebody that could see me, they were dead to me. You know, I used to think triggers were bad. Now I know I trigger people a lot. And that's actually a good thing if they receive it that way because triggers are, are there to actually help grow us if we choose to look at it that way. So there was about 20 years there um, that it, it, it was a little messy or 12 years there that it was messy. But then the last eight, you know, my dad died. Uh, my coping mechanisms were crap. My kids were teenagers and starting to repeat my stuff. And I didn't want that for them because they do what we do, not what we say to do. And I knew that the only way that they didn't carry out the same legacy that I was about to is if I showed them a different way. And so eight years ago, after my dad died, after a 12-day cancer diagnosis, and I had just turned 40, I was like, you know what? It's time to wipe out the hard drive and start over. Rip off every mask. I checked myself into rehab for alcohol, eating disorders, codependency, anger, everything. I mean, you name it. I've used it as a coping mechanism to survive. And I put all the cards on the table, stripped every mask off and said, I don't know where we begin, but at 40, this is where it starts. And my kids were 14 and 15 at the time. And while I was in rehab with my therapist, I was introduced to the Enneagram. 
And that, because I had a lot to unpack, you know, I was 40 at that point. So there's four decades of shit that was buried. And what I, even though I resisted the Enneagram, I very much resisted it. I was like, I don't want to be put in a box. I don't need another freaking label. Seriously, I'm checking into rehab with all these fucking labels. I don't need another one. And she said to me, and she, and I still see her to this day, eight years later, I still see her. She's a tough ass Texas chick. And she said, my dear, the world has put you in a box and you've put yourself in a box and this Enneagram might help you get out of it. It may help you make a lot more sense to what we have to unpack. It may make it not so hard and not as emotionally charged. And I'm like, well, and she goes, and quite honestly, my dear, your best thinking has gotten you here. So how about we try something different? I'm like, well, if you want something different, you got to try something different. So that's kind of where it all began eight years ago. Now, I love this because I've heard you speak many times at the masterminds and you've always been so raw and open. And I think I'm always so thankful for that because we always learn from other people's stories. And as you started talking about your kids and the way that they respond to things and I was just, it was like story after story of my own was coming to my head of how I've put all of my children in these assumptions of how they should respond, how they should feel, because we assume everyone is like us. And when you started to share some of the stories of learning things about your kids and how it's changed your parenting, I was like, okay, sign me up. But of course, you know, you get busy. I came home. I was at church, like not even a couple Sundays later, and my pastor mentions the Enneagram and how they, they had a book even and that they've been using it for leadership and it's helped their team be more cohesive. And so I'm like, okay, there's definitely more here. But like you had mentioned, hey, you know what, wait, do your test and let me get it and all that. So I took my test on Sunday morning, you know, and had the results sent to you. And I thought that that would just be fun for us even to go into. But when it comes to the parenting, you know, because obviously your kids are, are your kids the same as you? Are they, have they been different than you? That was the thing that hit, hit me, you know, obviously when I was looking at my, what I was and she helped me really decipher what I was and, and had I known about the Enneagram, that's why these tests are not accurate about 65 to 70% of the time. That's why I love to get the results because again, you know, we answer sometimes, we compartmentalize how we answer if we've had personal development work, we may answer based on who we know we're going to become, you know, and to get to the true essence of who you are. Had I known about the Enneagram, I would have tried to manipulate the questions to get the type that I would want, that I felt was most um, the best, right? And of course, the type that I end up getting is pretty much the biggest jerk when they're unhealthy on the Enneagram. <laughs> I'm like, of course I am. I mean, my name is called the Challenger. I'm like, of course it is. And, but what I realized when I was reading it and I was reading all the things, and I know that, you know, you've had body image stuff and, you know, the weight fluctuation. And so have I, I've been a yo-yo dieter my whole life. And, you know, when I have experienced sexual trauma, a lot of times that'll happen, you know, we, we mask it with weight and then we, you know, all the things. And, you know, it was interesting because I think this is human nature. Like when we look in the mirror, our eyes don't go to the parts of us that we love right? We automatically go to the thighs or the part on us that, you know, we are always trying to work on. And the Enneagram is no different. And that's why I think it's really important to have somebody guide you through the process rather than you go on your own. I mean, it's okay too, but if you really want to use this tool effectively, having the right information is really important. Um, And also having somebody guide you because just like the mirror, when we take the Enneagram test, just like I did, I went right to all the, the unhealthy parts of the challenger. 
and they were bossy, bully-like, you know, just jerk that they, I mean, I'm an eight, they call it the eight hole, like the eight hole of the Enneagram. And, but there was something that happened in rehab that, you know, I can go down that dark hole of shame and beating myself up. I mean, buried myself in that stuff most of my life. But there was some divine moment that happened in rehab because all of a sudden I was looking at like these parts of the the challenger that aren't so healthy sometimes. And it was like, God spoke to me like, but where there is darkness, there must be light. Mm -hmm. And my eyes went immediately to read all the beautiful, healthy traits and and where you go when you're in a growth pattern about the eight. World-class leader, justice seeker, truth teller, um, protector, you know, in the healthy ways, like all these things. I'm like, I know that's in me because I remember a time in my life where I felt like I had that in me and then life kind of kicked the crap out of me. And I let that happen as far as how I chose to respond to it. So, you know, with the Enneagram, I find a lot of times people will go and buy into the stereotypes of it. And that's not going to be using this effectively. And so the other realization I had when I was in rehab, understanding my type, and I'm reading about the challenger as like, oh, crap, I have two kids at home that are nothing like this. Yet I've been speaking to them and expecting them to respond and deal with life as though they're challengers and they are not. And so it was at that time I started to read about the other eight types because there's nine types total, basic types. And then there's all these different dynamics. It's very, very complex. And um, it's rooted in psychology, whereas a lot of the other personality tests are great for information about what we do. But what I love about the Enneagram is understanding at the root of who we are, why we do what we do, the motive behind everything. Because as you know, somebody who works in, in health and fitness, like you can change the behaviors and, and all that and habits for, for periods of time. But if we don't understand where our old behaviors come from, it's just a matter of time before we go back to that. 100%. It's so crazy. So I had a specific thing happen last year. And thankfully, I was in, re- in, in, in like therapy at the time. But I had, you know, long story short, I posted this video live on IG. I'd even tagged like the person in it. And it ended up backfiring. Long story short, I had to realize that I was actually looking for the Atta girl. And that all came from childhood. I was basically looking for my dad. And it was so crazy how like I happened to have therapy like the next day with my therapist. And I told her what happened. She goes, okay, well, you do realize that so-and-so is very much like your father in these ways. And I immediately stopped and I went, oh my gosh, I was actually looking for his approval. Mm-hmm. What the heck, you know? And, and knowing these things has also then allowed me to kind of know which type of coaching or type of people that I really need to one align with and people I need to not align with because it's like not a, a healthy place for me to be with someone that maybe I am trying to seek that approval and do that. But that's interesting that you say that because that was definitely one for me that I'm like, man, mm-hmm. had I not known my history, that would have been another decade of me probably chasing that same style of relationship, coaching, whatever, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it it was interesting. So, you know, my son, who's 22 now, he was 14 when I kind of started to work on this. I mean, he's so sensitive and, and compassionate and he's an empath to the core. And I mean, I could see just even how my body language and tone would affect him his whole life. Like, I could see that. 
And I didn't know how to speak any other way. But when I was learning about this, I was like, wow, you know, first of all, understanding how other types may, you know, even like somebody like you and and your type, which I'm gathering what you are based on what you just said. I trigger a lot of that type because I'm not driven by the same thing. We look a lot alike on paper. Yes. Like our drive to succeed looks a lot on paper, but the motive could be is it's it's completely different. The motive is completely different why I strive to succeed and why you do. Mm-hmm. And when I understood like what motivated my son and how my intensity really does affect him. And this is the thing, I don't need to be right. I spent my lifetime trying to be right, but I was not effective. And if you care about people, whether it's in leadership, parenting, relationships, friendships, like at the end of the day, I don't give a shit if I'm right. I just want to be effective. And if it's somebody I care about, I'm going to do my due diligence to speak a language that they understand because I know what's in my heart. But if they can't receive that in the intention that I, I desire them to receive it, then it's pointless. And so, I mean, you know, the love languages and all that, that's like the basics, you know, love language. Um, But the Enneagram is like next level, like speaking a language. And so when I came home, I just slowed my tone. I looked him in the eyes, my intensity. I had to kind of like knock it down a few notches. I'm always going to be intense, but when I'm speaking to him, especially with matters of the heart, I'm very intentional with my tone and my speed in which I talk, my body language, my eye contact, and it changed everything, the trust. And a lot of the anxiety that he had that had physically manifested in him went away. With my daughter, she is the complete opposite of him. Like she is the escapist, right? Like she is that free-spirited hippie that I'm like, I don't even know how you function. And I realized also that based on my communication, I was not taking her seriously and chipping away at her confidence and her, her own kind of belief in herself by, because I didn't take her seriously. And when I realized that, I was like, oh my gosh, the, I, like, I wish I could bottle up that free spirit, even though I don't understand it still to this day. Like, I don't even know how she functions, but that's something I need more of in my life. Right. Right. And so I started to pour belief in her. And even when I didn't understand, I listened to her. I let her finish a sentence. Because that type, usually people don't take them as seriously. And what I saw change in her, like she wouldn't take shit from, you know, mean girls at school. She, she had body confidence. She, you know, wasn't afraid to take risks career-wise. She's now almost 24. I mean, you know, she has her own business and she lives out loud. And, and had I tried to continue to communicate to her the way that only I knew, I would have completely destroyed that beautiful free spirit. And that's the last thing I want. Even if I don't get it, I don't. Like, I, I, I love it. And actually, she brings that fun side out of me, which I've lacked most of my life. So, you know, when you care about people, it's important, especially as a parent, because I think at the end of the day, I know that I don't want my kids to have to go through what I did. Yes. I don't. But we, we do, you know, if we don't repair it, we repeat it. And even though I didn't want them to live out what I did, I was pretty much repeating it all of it. Cause it was the only thing I knew, right. right. Until I learned new languages. And, you know, I, I talked to somebody the other day who was worried that it was too late. You know, our kids are like 10 and under. I'm like, girlfriend, mine were 14 and 15. Wow. And exactly. And it's never too late. You can always humble yourself enough to say, you know what? I know better now and I'm going to do better. 
I only was doing what I knew. And um, kids really appreciate that. Had, had my parents said that to me, mm-hmm. it goes a long way. I think that's so important. And I think a lot, most of my audience is probably parents, you know, I mean, I've got six kids, five at home. Mm-hmm. I've been very open with, you know, it was just three years ago that we took our two older kids to Mexico. We called it like our midlife crisis, where I realized that, you know, behaviors are caught, not taught, and that I was going to really repeat all the things that I didn't like about my parents. They were, you know, I, I read a book, How to Be Emotionally Immature Parents, right? I was an emotionally immature parent too, still am. I talk about this all the time. I don't even judge myself for it anymore. I just know that I'm learning. I was an avoider, like hard conversations, hard to have. My parents never had them. Like I didn't really, I mean, my mom gave me the birds and bees talk, but it was very much like, that was it. Never talked about again. And everything else around it was just never discussed. And, you know, I found myself doing a lot of those same exact things. And if I would have stayed in that guilt, shame place, nothing would ever change. Right. And I, I I agree with you, my kids just having the honest talk, like I literally went to them. I'm like, I've sucked. You know, I've not done things the way that I want to, because I also wasn't a very affectionate touchy mom. It was hard for me to say, I love you. My kids, I wasn't really playful, like having fun. Like that's just not, you know, we don't have time for that. Exactly. So my oldest son, when we got back from Mexico, I said to him, I go, now listen, I want to start saying I love you to you. This is hard for me. Like, I'm just being honest. It has nothing to do with you. It's just, I've never seen it really. So I said, we might need to start with some emojis and work our way up. But just even having that honesty with them changed everything, like completely in the way of like, okay, mom is still working through it. I mean, they watched me go through my affair eight, Mm -hmm. nine years ago. And, you know, of course, things are going to be really affecting them and, and me not ever speaking about it, you know, and I could have, like I said, stay in that guilt, shame place. And instead, I was like, all right, guys, we're going to start new here. And I think that's important for people listening to know it's never too late. Your, your kids could be in their 40s and, and you can still have that conversation and how powerful it is to hear from our parents that we're human and we make mistakes and we just we're doing the best we can with kind of what we knew how to do. Right. It's fascinating too, because like what you said, um, you know, they were in high school by the time I really was able to have these honest conversations with them because so much of it got, like you said, swept under the rug. And the thing that we don't understand a lot of times when we're going through it is kids. Like I remember being a kid and I remember as early as four, I could feel the energy, even if nobody was talking about it. So why I believed that my kids couldn't pick up on it, even though I wasn't saying anything is kind of like, okay. But again, we do what we are taught, told, and modeled. And I remember when I you know, was honest with my kids, I'm like, listen, I know that where I lack is the nurturing department. Um, I'm a very good tactical mom. You'll never be without. I will always make sure that you have what you need. And asking my kids what they felt was missing um, in our relationship that they wish they had from me. And I knew what the answer was going to be. And with both of them, it was nurturing. And, um, but both of them have said, but you made up for lost time. And I had to learn that because it isn't something that came natural for me. I didn't have that. I had to figure shit out from the age of four on. And, you know, that's just who I had to be to survive. And it's, it's interesting because my ex-husband, um, he is a completely different type than me and very playful. He's more like my daughter's personality. And thank God he was because he took tons of home videos and, and all the stuff when the kids were little. 
but I got to tell you, it's painful for me to watch because it, you can see how uncomfortable I am when it comes to being playful or like silly. I just couldn't do it. And it's painful to watch. But it also, I have so much compassion for myself because here I am, this, this girl trying to play house and be a mom at 22 years old, and I don't have the skills. And that's not an excuse to stay stuck. Like you can't just say, that's just who I am. That's how I was raised. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. And you are in charge of that. And is it easy? Hell no. Like I had to completely learn all of this. I had to learn all of this. If I really didn't want that repeated, then it is up to you to show a different way, not just tell a different way or expect teachers or mentors, like they're going to follow your lead. And so whatever you have living under your house is a result of what you've been showing them. And I wanted something different for my family. And as a single parent, I've been a single parent for 14 years now, the sole provider financially, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And for me to turn this bus around as fast as I did using the tool of the Enneagram, that's why I'm so passionate about it. Is it the end all be all? Of course not. You know, information doesn't equal transformation. It's what you freaking do with it. Totally. And how you leverage the tool. And that's what I, you know, I think there's so much great information out there on the Enneagram, like tons. And there's so many great people giving you the information, but there is nobody showing you how to integrate it. And that's where I come in. Like, love that because like you, that's where I come in. You'll stick in the gap. I, I actually heard a podcast talking about what the gap is. And the gap is the place where you have the awareness. So you've taken the test and you've learned all the stuff. You've listened to the podcast. The gap feels almost worse it does. than before. Like I talk about my transformation of when I finally came to my realizations of who I was and the mistakes I was making until I changed. Oh my gosh, there's nothing worse than being fully aware of what you're doing and you're not doing anything to change it. It was so much easier to be drunk. It was so much easier to be obsessed with, you know, my body image and in my eating disorders. And it was way easier to be unaware. It yep. is. The minute that we have this awareness, it's like, okay. And then you have to acknowledge where it's rooted from. And that's where it gets really messy because we have to kind of, it's not that we linger long in the past, but you have to kind of connect the dots to see where the beliefs came in and these patterns came in. You have to. You cannot bypass them and just like take on new habits because it won't be sustainable. It won't. It's why we're, we have an obese you know, world. It's why you know, marriages are falling apart. It's why the countries are falling apart because we are just have awareness and then we just want to slap Band-Aids on all this crap. Right. There's oh. this middle part where we have to figure out where it came from oh. and, and do some repair, but we're not going to linger there. You have to have like, an understanding of it so it, it can be sustainable. So you can effectively change the legacy of your family and your businesses. Like I've used this in business too. Well, very much parallel with our businesses. If you don't change who you are, you don't work through the stuff first, you'll never keep your results. I mean, many people are very good at following a program for a period of time. But, you know, I related even to the person that wins like the lottery. If you don't change who you are, you lose all the money. If you don't change who you are, you gain all the way back. You know, if and you don't change who you are, you go back to those old things. And I want to just kind of pivot off what you just said about changing who you are. I think that that language we have to kind of be careful of because, mm -hmm. you know, who like with the Enneagram, I get asked a lot, like, does your number change? Does it change? No, it changes the expression of it. I think that we are divinely 
born with a soul roadmap, a soul contract with God. I believe that we are born with a certain temperament and disposition, but then then life environment happens and it takes on new expressions. And that's why the Enneagram is very complex. You can have two challengers right next to each other and we can look very, very different, right? Depending on you know the amount of work we've done, um, situationally, how that looks. And a lot of times I'll get people come, coming to me because they're buried in shame and they're like, please fix me. I'm broken. I want to change. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with you. I want you to know there's nothing freaking wrong with you. We need to develop an understanding of where this was rooted from and then understanding the compensatory strategies that you have built to survive, to also have compassion for that little person that developed those things. Because if you had a little four-year-old like I have right here, you know, I, I keep the picture of me at four years old real close because when I act out, it's her. And I won't beat her up, but I have no problem beating myself up. So remembering that there's a little person inside of us that had to develop certain things to survive, to, to have worthiness to, you know, like you said, you were looking for the Atta girls your whole life. So everything for you was dictated on performance and how you showed up and image and appearances and the masks. And because you believed in your soul that that's how you were worthy of attention, love, approval, acceptance. Totally. Right. Bring the picture out for me. That's a great exercise because when I've done like rim therapy or any of this where we go into the past, it's always six year old Amy. Like that's where my hurt and, mm-hmm. and even talking to my mom and going through it because you know I had a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Even just my my personality or my like my way I, I I shifted at that age. That was when you know things changed. And then ironically enough, when you tie it into like you know we do what we've been modeled. I remember just like I think it was last year that. Eric was getting ready to go tuck the kids in. And, you know, I'm not, I'm like you where the mm-hmm. nerve is harder for me. And he was tucking the kids in and, you know, Alyssa is 10 turning 11. And I remember saying to him, I go, I mean, really? Like, don't you think they're just getting too old for this? And he goes, Amy, you're never too old to tuck in your kids. And I had that moment of, holy crap, I've totally just assumed this because it's what I saw. And I just thought, okay, well, people just stop doing this kind of stuff. Like, who am I to make those rules? But it's crazy how I just assume, like, we don't need that love. We don't need the nurture. And like you, it does not come for me naturally, like at all. No. And it's, it, it's, you know, it's so funny because I mean, I'm very skilled in this and, you know, both my kids still live with me and we have great communication. But last week, my son and I kind of got into it. Like he hit a pain point that triggered little Tracy. And, and just as an exercise for three years, I kept this picture as the screensaver on my phone because we always have our phone with us. And it's easy to forget when that's not in front of us. So until I, it really became natural to recognize that it's her and I'm not going to beat her up again. She already got beat up enough as a kid. She doesn't need that anymore. Right. But when my son said one thing to me last week and it, it, it hit her in a place like, does he even know what I would have done to have a mom like me? Right. Wow. And it, and it, cause I don't have that. I still, I've begged my mother for a relationship and we still don't have one. She's emotionally incapable and I love her and she doesn't have a mean bone in her body. But when he said what he said, it hit that, like, does he even know what that little girl would have done to have a mother like me that uh, is a nurturer now, you know, all the things, I mean, I was talking to my daughter. I mean, this is how on my own, I've been since I was four years old. I was telling my daughter the story. I got my period when I was 10. 
which was really young. Right. And my mom was like incapable. So I didn't tell her. So for three years, I used toilet paper as like the barrier for that. And I didn't realize how big of a deal that was till I started telling that story. And people were like, like that, like you can, you can kind of get a sense of how on my own I was and how, like why I am the challenger. Like it's, if it's to be, it's up to me. I will rely on nobody. And so my drive for success isn't for the Atta girls. It's for, I don't want to ever have to fucking rely on one person my entire life. Mm. So it can, it can look like you and I can look the same. And I do use that language. That's interesting. We'll dive into that later because you know what? When I've gotten in big fights with Eric, that's my, that's my whole thing is like, I don't need anyone. I will. And, and, you know, even when I was, you know, launching something a couple of years ago, I had to come to the realization I was almost doing it to like prove that I could do it on my own versus us trying to grow together and really had to come to terms with that. But yeah, mine kind of go between the two where yeah. I'm obviously trying to prove something, but okay. So before we move forward, episode 54 of your podcast would you say that is the best episode to listen to? I mean, I will have in the show notes where you went through all of the Enneagram types. I'll link that, but I'm pretty sure at the beginning of that, when you said, Hey, I'm going to go through all of them. I just want to give a reference to people, or do you have an article I can link at the end of this? Well, you know, every Tuesday I specifically do Enneagram talk. And so I release two episodes a week. So the Tuesday episode is always Enneagram talk. So there's all, any Tuesday you go through is great. I'm doing a series right now on each type. So every Tuesday, it's the one that was released just yesterday was all about the two, the helper. The okay. week before that was the one, but anything that felt falls on a Tuesday, there's tons of resources. I talk about leadership because I've used this to build multi-million dollar businesses. I've used this in leadership and really leveraging every human being that is in my organization and, and how to bring out the best in leadership parenting, obviously health, relationships, love, friendships. Um, so I, I really cover the full gamut on how the Enneagram is an effective tool for every area of your life. And it's amazing. Yeah. I'm always learning, like always learning. Oh, I bet. I mean, I was just questions and, you know, admittedly I was sitting there going, okay, answering this question and you gave me really good advice. And I think it's important for people to hear this. If you already are kind of in this journey of growing and it's still important to answer these questions based on who you have been the majority, right? Mm-hmm. In life, because while I want to be this future self all the time, and I don't want to answer it in certain ways, I knew that I needed to answer it as truthful to where I've mostly played most of my life. And a lot of, I'll, I'll tell people, if you can think back to when you were like between 18 and 22, when we think we know it all, we're on the, the verge of adulting, and we think we we have it all figured out, but we really, really don't. And for a lot of people like myself, I couldn't remember. I, I had suppressed so many memories. So it was just a matter of whatever. The other thing that I will tell you when you, if you do take a test and the one that I like is the Enneagraminstitute.com. It's still 65 to 70% of the time wrong. So just because you pay for it doesn't mean it's accurate. So what I tell a lot of people, if you choose to do this and explore this on your own, A, you have to be so radically honest about your motives, not your behaviors. Because the behaviors are just compensatory strategies and, and the things that we use to get by, right? It's the motive behind it. And so a lot of times, if you do explore this on your own, I say, look at the top three or four scores that you get 
And because I'm, I do this all the time, I can kind of read into like, cause a lot of times that top one is maybe where you go in stress. If you've been living under stress a long, long time, that might be your stress number, not necessarily your full type, mm-hmm. or it might be a wing that you use, which is a whole nother thing that we, we have. Um, but I tell people, look at the top three or four results and then look at the motives of each one. And really take the time to be honest with yourself about what motivates every decision, every part of your communication. Because when I was in therapy, my therapist thought I might be a three, which is the achiever, which is the one that is success driven and mask wearing and doesn't have time for emotions because they're just going to power through life. And it was my top three scores were eight, three, and one, which those three usually kind of go Mm-hmm. In, in sync with each other. But when we were diving in, I'm not motivated by the Atta girls. I'm not motivated by recognition. In fact, recognition to me feels very, very uncomfortable. I don't like awards. I, and it's ironic that I speak on stages in front of 20,000 people because that feels so vulnerable to me. But when we were digging in and the motive for me, this is why I am an eight, which is the challenger is because I don't, ever want to be in a vulnerable position where I can be taken advantage of or have to rely on anybody but myself. And so that's where the strong leadership skills come in, but it also robs you of joy, intimacy, and a lot of other things if you don't know how to put the walls down. Right, right. Wow, that's really powerful. I mean, I know a lot of people will be really interested to to do this. And before we wrap up Mm -hmm. at the end, I want you to talk about what you even offer, if anything. You know, to people that are like, hey, maybe I don't want to like read this necessarily myself because like I'm happy that I didn't know anything and that I was able to allow you to kind of dive into it knowing what you've heard from me so that you don't take certain things at face value or choose to pick the ones because we're always self preservating mm-hmm. right? I'm going to pick the one that sounds like it's the best, you know? <laughs> well, and I want you to know that like, you know, just picking the one that sounds the best isn't going to serve you. Because what happens is, is, especially if you take all the information about that type. So let's say my therapist said, you're a three, you're a three, and I believed it. And we didn't explore it further. Because I do have a lot of the behaviors of three. When I've tried to lean into what drives a three, I get burnt out really quick. I get irritated. I would actually sabotage some of my growth because I was not a three. I can have the behaviors of the three, but I'm not motivated by the same thing. So it can feel like a lot harder work to try and do something. So in the businesses that I've had, you know, especially when I'm leading people, you know, they're looking at like somebody like you who like sets a goal and crushes it because you're driven by something different. Somebody like me, if I tried to do like what you do, there's no way I could do it, but I would be burnt out. I'd be bitter. I'd be angry. I'd feel like a fraud. And so it's really important to if you can't be completely objective with yourself, it is, it's why it is really great to have somebody that can ask the right questions to guide you. So once you do have the right type, you can either go explore on your own and get all the information. Or what I do is, as I really teach you how to integrate that information into what areas of your life or all the areas of your life where you really want the most growth, where you want transformation, where you want to move the needle. And so I do, I do all of that. Okay. So what did you gather from my test? What did you see? So when I get these tests, like I'm not surprised by what I see. You definitely are probably a three or an eight 
because you do have the same kind of yeah. stuff that I have. But I think that you might be driven more by the achiever motives, which is your worth is tied to what you do. 100%. Except for one thing you said that actually made me go, okay, because I'm definitely, and I, it's important to me. And I know it's because I, I, I did chase that a lot. I felt like I was the entertainer. Mm-hmm. Like if I do the circus act, then that's great. However, I do have this issue with the attention on me. So it's like, I want the attention because this just happened with my podcast. <clears throat> launched. Um, the local newspaper wanted to put it on the front page of the paper. Now, everyone would be very excited about this, right? It took me into a total, like, not what I was expecting. I was like, I don't think I want this. Like, Eric's like, this is so good. Are you so happy? And I was having massive, like, that day, I was feeling really unworthy. And like, I don't want the attention on me. Same with my cancer. I've had issues with when people are like, oh, you're such a hero. It actually annoys me. Like, and I'm like, that's such a terrible thing to even say because I do like mm-hmm. Think I like the attention, you know. I'll say that, and why would I put myself out there if I didn't? But at the same time, as soon as you said that, I'm like, man, there's times where I don't. Maybe it's maybe I just don't like the sympathy or something with it. You know. Well, here's the thing, like, you know, beneath the surface of that achiever, you know, where a three, the achiever goes under stress, is they take on that unhealthy nine, which is that peacemaker. Which, knowing some of your history, it makes a lot of sense because the peacemaker under stress in an unhealthy state, I don't want to use this, but they can dumb it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they, they actually like, especially if they feel like they're taking the spotlight from somebody else or that it's going to stand in the way of you actually crushing some other goals. Like if so much attention's paid to the cancer or your achievements, then it's like, yeah, but I, I'm moving on to the next thing already. Right. Whereas for me, I think it's rooted like, when I was a kid and there was a tension, people got hurt. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit different, I think, possibly. I mean, I could ask more questions and definitely get to it. But even though you're not the most nurturing person, admittedly, I think your heart, you, you make decisions based on your heart, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, I agree. And as a three... When you're a three, that means on either side of you is a two and a four. And those are both in the heart center of intelligence as well. And you do have this empathy, even if you don't act on it with nurturing. I can feel when you pick up energy and some of the conversations we've had. Absolutely. On the other side of you is the four, which is that individualist, which is like, I am unique. I am my own person. Like, I see that a lot in you, even as like the style you show up with, like your hair, when, when you've got the mohawk, like eights don't want to stand out. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. I can, we don't want the attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can see that. So what are some of the things? So knowing that, you know, when you're, let's say that you're helping someone right now and they, they've gotten it back and they want to, they want to dig into this. Where do you start looking for the things that are the strengths of a three? Do you talk? So like, like threes are like the get it done people. And especially in the entrepreneurial world, we see a lot of threes. And we, especially with the way the world is right now, the ones that are just like figuring things out and, and pivoting at rapid paces, a lot of them are threes. Some of that's really healthy and some of it 
isn't because they don't want to take the time to feel the feelings. They just power through. And a lot of times their health, which, you know, with the health issues you've had makes a lot of sense. Their health will be sacrificed. Their relationships will be sacrificed. Um, Their kids will be sacrificed, not intentionally, but because your entire worth, and it's so subconscious, like you don't, like set out to say, like, I don't give a crap about anybody, but me and my worth, like, it's so ingrained in us. Like, same thing with me. Like, I don't go out trying to keep the world behind my walls. Like I don't, but that's just who I am. So for a three, you know, and, and I've had a hard time with threes in the past because before I got healthy, I would judge all of you like, oh, you tension whore, like you need all this attention and la la la. And especially in leadership, when I'm leading threes, I have to be very, very mindful because I am not one to, because I don't like recognition and I don't want compliments because I think they're all bullshit a lot of the time. Like I'm like, what do you want from me if you're giving me a compliment? Right. And so when I'm working with a three, I have to understand that they're driven by that but I also don't want to feed into the unhealthy part of that and understanding like, listen, I'm so proud of you, but not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. That's powerful for me because I find myself even in my relationship, like I want my husband's approval and more than anyone, it's his approval of what I'm doing, which that's the mistake right there. Right. It's not who I am. It's like, Oh, I'm doing good on my podcast. Oh, you like it. Like that means so much to me. And so knowing that this is going to help me to not seek that out from him. And because I can see where that can go unhealthy for myself, because then I want to do more. I want to work. And that's why I like getting that six-year-old picture real close to you. Because it's her looking for daddy's attention and daddy's approval and, and reminding her when she feels the need to perform. Cause that's what a three can threes when they really get unhealthy, they almost take on an actor role and they don't mean to, they are the chameleon cause they know what they need to do, what role they have to play to win. They win at winning like, and, and it isn't because they're selfish and it's not because they're self-absorbed. It's because they believe that that's the only way that they are worthy of love. And especially when it, you know, with your male relationships, I'm sure there's a pattern there, right? I have a similar pattern with men that is rooted in protection because I didn't have it. And so I'm always seeking it specifically. And so I've had to work really hard because that's my driver is like, I don't want to be unprotected. And I've really had to navigate that. And when I feel the urge for my own walls to come up as a challenger, I look this little sweet four-year-old in the face and, and let her know I've got her back. We're okay. This is safe. This is safe. And, and it calms our nervous system down, which helps our health. Right. Right. It keeps us from reacting and blowing shit up in our lives that we really actually want. Right. You know, and isn't it crazy? Like I, I think back to even five years ago, I mean, I couldn't even have the honest conversation of what I really wanted, you know, like that it no. was a lot easier to say, this is what I want. But instead I would do- like, tell me what you want from me and I will do that. And that's what I want. Right. And in fact, like completely sabotaging it when, you know, it's having that, you know, conversation, we always call it our seven-year-old self in our relationship where it's like, what does seven-year-old Eric want? What does seven-year-old Amy want? And mine is usually like, I just want you to love me, but I can't say that. I will do everything around that, but I can't actually, because then I feel like I've given you some power for lack of a better word. Like, well, if I tell you that, well then, 
And that just stems from like childhood, right? Of that obviously being taken away or, or something's happened where then I feel like, well, if I'm vulnerable to the situation, you know, I can't protect myself fully. Well, and as a three, that will also, like, if you take the time to actually feel these feelings and talk about these feelings, it's going to slow you down from performing, getting the goal, which you think is where your worth is, right? So that's why a lot of threes, even though you are in the heart center of intelligence and you guys feel and you make your decisions based on feelings, you stuff them down so far because you don't have time for that because it will interfere with where your worth comes which is what you do. And so when you feel that coming on, let yourself feel the feelings, which is very hard. I, one of my best friends is a three and she was originally typed as an eight. And I was like, okay, this is why you're not an eight. And she's very similar to you, like very similar to you. And, you know, she's very career driven. And, and I'm like, listen, listen, like take the time to feel this really really take inventory of your relationships in your life. And the thing about tucking your kids in, take the time to do that, to feel those feelings. Like even though maybe you didn't have that and, and I didn't either, you know, when my son set me off the other day, he, what he said to me is, um, and this is why it hurt so bad. He said, um, I feel like my friends gave a shit more than you did. And I know he was angry at me at the time. Right. And like, it triggered me so bad because I've worked so hard to drop everything when there's an emotional conversation that needs to happen. And I do. And it, it gets in the way of a lot of things that I have on my plate when they need that. But because I, I would have died for that, I will now do that. But there was something else like I wasn't going to feed into the unhealthy part of what he was doing. And so I was like, you need to schedule that. Like it wasn't an emotional thing. It was like, he didn't plan accordingly. And so he hit me below the belt and it hurt. And I, I could feel myself because the challenger will attack. Like mm -hmm. I will attack and I could feel that coming on. I'm like, listen, I'm about to say crap that I don't mean. And I don't want to have to apologize for it because it's not where my heart is, but you've hit it. You've hit the trigger. Please give me space right now because I'm about to blow up on you and it won't be what I intend. But mm -hmm. I need to heal this wound that you just kind of ripped open a little bit and really own my part and, you know, take my own personal accountability and maybe how I could have done better. But in the meantime, get the F out of my face. <laughs> and he was not liking that, but I'm like, promise you, this will be better if you just leave me alone for a little bit. And I, I love that because, you know, we, we took a marriage thing a couple of years ago where we learned each other's love and fight dance and learning that about people really, really helped us. Like we had to map out exactly what happens when we fight. Like I'm a person that retreats. Mm -hmm. Like I immediately go into like that place. Well, that doesn't help the partner that also struggles with feeling acceptance because they see it as rejection. Cause that was my husband's big fear was his, mine was like fear of abandonment and his is fear of rejection. And so it was interesting how, until we learned that, we would continually go through this circle of a massive fight where it would end up usually me being what I call runaway bride, where that's like my anti best self in relationship. So three, that's a, such a three quality. He's probably, Eric's probably an eight like me yes. from what I gather. I, I think so too. And I would just be like, I'm out of here. See it. You know what I mean? Which never, which then man, the person that's coming from abandonment, it's massively crippling, right? Like where then they just, I mean, they can't handle it. And 
man, we did, we did that song and dance for, you know, four years until we really learned each other's fears, you know, and I think like people listening here, like, don't be afraid to learn these things. Even if it's some, some things that maybe you don't want to face or you don't like to hear about yourself. Like I have gotten to a place in the last couple of years that I really try hard to not judge myself that one, I've learned so much about our brain and how we can change so much of us for the better that like, I don't even shame and judge that person anymore because I know I can change. And instead of seeing triggers as, you know, this negative thing, and instead as an opportunity of like, hey, what is it? Like, you know, Taylor from the mastermind, massive trigger for me at first because she was living her best life and able to really be herself. And at that time, I was truly not being myself. And so I didn't know that. Instead, I just watch her stories and be like, you know, and realizing that Eric and I were very similar. And I remember the first time Eric ever seeing me, like I did like an IG dance and he goes as innocent as he could be. He was watching my stories with his phone. He goes, well, what are you doing? I go, I'm just dancing. And he's like, why? And it wasn't in a judging way. It was, he just couldn't even fathom that play was, you know, something that, you know, maybe I needed or whatever, but I, I find it so fascinating. And I hope, cause you know, I do get messages a lot where people are, they're struggling with shame, mm-hmm. struggling with something in their past. They don't know how to overcome it. And, you know, I think that you will be a great tool and resource for people. I mean, your podcast is full of it. You really teach people how to get unstuck and really overcome. What are some of the things that you offer Tracy that I want to be able to give to my audience? Well, we can do just a typing session on top of it. Like if you just want to find out your type and then take that information and go, I do that. I do like an Enneagram experience. Like I properly type you and then take you through the integration and all the, what your wings are, your subtypes, you know, the, the childhood patterns, where this is rooted from, how to use this in business, how to use this in your family, how to use this in relationships and your health. Um, so I, I do that as well. Um, I also do this with businesses and organizations and teams. Um, because I think when everybody is bringing out the best in each other, it's more cohesive. You have more fun. The culture's better. The profits go up. You know, you can work smarter, not harder. So I love doing teams and and even families. Like I love doing family workshops and and getting everybody together. So you can all kind of be on the same page. And it's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's just a matter of understanding each other. And, you know, I never felt seen, heard, and understood as a child ever, ever. And I know that when people feel like they are seen, heard, and understood, anything is possible. That is probably what I'm told more than anything is my superpower, even though it triggers people because I do see you. You do. I do see you. And, and I have one of two things happen. Either they bail and run as fast as they can. And I'm okay with that because I would have ran from me too a decade ago. I get it. I don't take it personal. Or they're like, okay, you really scare me, but I'm also, I, I have not felt this scene in a long time. And that feels good. Those were my words to you. I remember you were sitting at the mm-hmm. table next to me and I said to you, I'm scared of you. And I don't know why I'm scared of you right now, but you are like intimidating me, but I want to be around you and I'm not even sure how to take this. And I mean, I was like, I'm just going to tell her straight up because I love that. For like a whole day that I'm like, she's scaring me. She's intimidating. And part of it was just your stories really resonated. And I loved, I think, the trigger for me are truth seekers, people that are really being their real self because I wanted to be the cool at that point, you know? And uh, I, I love this family one that's going to be at the top of my list. I'm going to want my kids, you know, so that I can understand them more because I already know that my 21-year-old is nothing like me and not driven mm-hmm. by anything like me. 
And so I'll be curious with that. Um, I will have in my show notes, you know, links to find Tracy. Tracy, where are you? Are you more on Facebook? Are you more on Instagram? Where's your favorite social media? You know, I, I'm on both Facebook and Instagram equally. I am on both. You can go to my website, which I don't love right now. It's tracyomalley.com. But any of those places, you can hit me up. And the thing that I want you to know that even if you do feel yourself triggered by things that I say, or my energy, or it feels intimidating, I want you to know, and I know that you can attest to this, that even if you do feel that around me, that you also equally feel the love and compassion coming from me without judgment. I have zero judgment. And the reason I'm able to do that for others is because I don't hold judgment on myself anymore. Um, I have nothing but love and compassion, even when I act out, even when I'm not at my very best. I have compassion because I know a four-year-old's driving this, that she's just trying to figure shit out. And so I want you to know that even if some of the things I say scare you, just know that it's, it's coming from a place of love. And, and those triggers are put in your life to actually help you grow and, and break the cycles if you choose to lean in. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I, I definitely have so... I know that that little nine-year-old girl that was riding around on a bike seeking the purpose in her life at such a young age, she's the one that... She's why I do this because I would have died for somebody like me back then. And so that's why I wake up every day and do what I do because I know there's a lot of little boys and girls inside those grown-up bodies of yours that just really need to be seen, heard, and understood and set free and, and told that they're, they're okay. They're more than okay. That's just with me. I mean, that day that I, I cried, and I don't like to cry in public. I know. My other thing is I'm like, now I'm crying. And <laughs> you were great about, like, I see you. I'm here for you. So you definitely bring out both. I mean, I've seen that powerful, like mm-hmm. really assertive side that I, I'm usually attracted to. And then to see you nurture the way you have really took me by surprise that day. Cause I'm like, whoa, this is, this is exactly what, you know, I, I want in myself, you know, to see that. So thank you so, so much. Every here I'm going to have in the show notes where you can go find Tracy. You need to follow her. I'm going to link also episode 54, but You should be listening to her every Tuesday and learning all the things from Tracy. Thank you so much for coming on today. I just love you. It's my pleasure. I think you're one of my favorite people in the world. So thanks for having me on. Okay, another episode in the books. And I'll tell you what, I am loving this podcasting gig. I cannot thank you enough for all of the reviews, for the comments that you've been sending me. It gives me an idea of more of what you want to hear. And my one ask here is this. I would love it if you would screenshot this or hit the copy link and share this with people you think would benefit from hearing from me. It's the way I'm going to get my message out, my vision out, and I would so much appreciate it. I will continue to bring episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays with bonus ones on Saturdays with my husband, and I'm excited to share them with you. 